2: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: It's 9.30 in 716.
2: I'm Susan Rose.
0: I'm Brian Mazrowski. Outside right now looking uh, pretty clear. A little bit of a chill in the air. 58 degrees right now in Buffalo.
2: Primary day wraps up across New York State. WBEN's Tom Puckett looks at the two major party candidates who won Tuesday and will face off in November in the gubernatorial race.
3: In her victory speech, Democratic nominee Governor Kathy Hochul announced she will address a recent Supreme Court ruling striking down the state's concealed carry law. Two
2: days from now, we will respond to the Supreme Court's assault on my right as the governor of New York to protect New Yorkers from concealed weapons. We're meeting on Thursday. We're gonna deal with that.
3: Lee Zeldin won the Republican nomination. He says if he wins in November, he will do away with COVID-related emergency powers once and for all. We preserve, protect, and treasure freedom. We believe that government should not be trying to rule our lives, but that the people should feel like they're in charge of their government. Zeldin says he has a plan to enact the largest tax cut in the state's history. Hear more about that online. Tom Puckett,
0: WBEN.com News. All right, Tom, thank you. So that race headlining the ticket yesterday. Also on the ballot in Erie County, Eden Supervisor Melissa Hartman winning the Democratic primary for Erie County clerk, defeating incumbent Mickey Kearns. Kearns, however, has the nod on both the Republican and conservative party lines. Meaning the two will face off in the general election in November. Hartman won with 64% of the vote.
2: Between now and November, well, we're going to we're gonna work just as hard as we did for the general primary. I'm going to get out there and, and talk to people about real issues and how I can work with them um, as their next county clerk and, and get them excited about uh, why it's important to have me in that office.
0: Kearns is a registered Democrat, but has run on the Republican line for election to the clerk seat. Hartman had been a Republican until a few months ago when she changed her party affiliation. The clerk's office handles the DMV, real estate transactions, and pistol permits.
2: In Tuesday's primaries across the country, some members of Congress losing their seat. Political director Rick Klein from ABC explains how redistricting and Trump-backed Republicans have affected this election cycle. Right
3: outside Chicago, in the suburbs of Chicago, you had two Democrats running against each other. Marie Newman, a uh, congresswoman who won because she was seen as a, a protector of abortion rights in the- Election cycle. She actually lost to Sean Caston, a fellow incumbent. So that's where we've seen some incumbents lose. Meanwhile, in Mississippi, there were two incumbents on the ballot, one of them winning, the other one losing. So kind of a rough night for incumbents uh, across the board in some unpredictable ways. Trumpism winning some places and not winning in some others.
2: All right. You can find more primary coverage over at WBEN.com. Yeah,
0: we'll be uh, looking at what happened yesterday. Carl Calipri, Sarah Eisker join us in the seven o'clock hour with an overall a primary day and moving forward in politics. Back home, two people shot last night near Delaware Park in Buffalo, in the area of the 198 and Delaware Road. It happened in the 8 o'clock hour. One of the victims said to be seriously injured. The area closed to traffic for a couple of hours.
2: Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown gave an update yesterday on the progress happening inside the Top Store on Jefferson Avenue, which is slated to reopen in about a month. WBEN's Brayton Wilson looks at the continued conversation in the surrounding neighborhood about what will happen with the store. Remodeling
3: work continues at the Tops Friendly Market on Jefferson Avenue in order to get the supermarket ready for reopening sometime in late July for the East Buffalo community. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown was able to get a first-hand glimpse of the Tops on Tuesday, saying crews have done a very impressive job to make the supermarket look and feel completely new more than six weeks after the mass shooting that took place that killed 10 people. Despite renovations continuing on the supermarket in an effort to reopen the store, there continues to be Mixed reactions from residents of the community on whether or not it should reopen.
0: At first, I was saying that, oh, you know, it'll be good. We need to rebuild, rebuild, but I'm just having mixed emotions. I just hope that they'll be able to have like a memorial place for the victims and give us enlarge, you know, enlarge it and do things to better suit the community and everybody who comes and shop at this location.
3: That's local resident Carlina Jones. Since the tops on Jefferson Avenue was shut down following the mass shooting on May 14th, many people have used the term food desert when classifying what happened to the community as a result of the supermarket closing. When the store shut its doors, it left many members of the East Buffalo community without a source of food and other essential goods that they need on a daily basis. While other options for shopping in East Buffalo are very limited without the tops open, Mayor Brown says that the neighborhood is not technically experiencing a food desert. Deacon Jerome Wright from Voice Buffalo has been one of the advocates for keeping the tops on Jefferson Avenue closed permanently. Upon hearing the mayor's comments Wright agreed with the community not being a food desert but mentioned another term when describing what's happening in the neighborhood a desert
1: implies a natural ecological event that's not what happened on the east side. That is a planned gentrification red line. Don't benefit that neighborhood plan. That's what we call it a food apartheid. And anything they're doing right now does not ameliorate that situation.
3: More of the community's input on the reopening of tops on Jefferson Avenue is available for you online. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com
0: News. We'll hear from the mayor coming up in just a few minutes as we go. In depth, elsewhere around the country, being called one of the deadliest human smuggling incidents in U.S. history. At least 51 people dead after a tractor trailer full of migrants found abandoned in the sweltering heat in San Antonio, Texas, Monday evening. Matt Gutman is on the scene. They died from being in a locked compartment and 18-wheeler semi-trailer in the back with no air conditioning and no food and no water. It was 103 degrees in San Antonio. There was no air in there. And so they watched each other die over a period of hours. And at some point, um, the driver abandoned the vehicle. An eyewitness saw him leave the vehicle, wondered what that was all about. They got to the vehicle. Obviously, they saw what was inside and then called for help. It's Matt Gutman. We'll be going live to the scene in San Antonio with Alex Stone at seven o'clock.
2: Cassidy Hutchinson, a surprise witness to the January 6th House Select Committee and former White House aide to Trump's Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, testifying yesterday that Trump pressed to be allowed to go to the Capitol on January 6th. Here's Washington correspondent Jonathan Carl. She
3: recounts a story of seeing the lead Secret Service agent and the deputy chief of staff, seeing them just after Trump gets back to the White House after his speech. And they are in this state of like deep concern and recount this incredible story of Donald Trump ordering that he be taken to the Capitol building. And yes, lunging towards the steering wheel with one hand and lunging towards his lead secret service agent with the other infuriated that he's the quote effing president and he's ordering them to go and they will not take him because of the obvious uh, security concern
2: all right and they're about midway through the committee is with these hearings in washington
0: well it turns out extra z's could be good for your heart so uh Go back to sleep.
1: If you want to improve your heart health, you need to get that
3: sleep. The American Heart Association is adding sleep as another factor to consider for optimizing heart health in children and adults. They previously tracked the simple seven diet, physical activity, nicotine exposure, BMI, cholesterol,
1: blood glucose, and blood pressure. But it'll now be called the essential eight to include sleep. They say the fewer metrics met, the lower your cardiovascular
3: health score, and the more more likely you are to experience cardiovascular disease and stroke.
0: The exclusive WBN 7 weather forecast for the day today calls for sunshine to give way to increasing clouds. We'll find a spot shower developing by this afternoon as a front makes its way through western New York, the high temperature into the mid-70s. We'll look for patchy clouds and starlight for the night tonight. The Sky clearing, the overnight low in the upper 50s. Wall-to-wall sunshine from Hilltop to Lakeshore on Thursday. Highs in the low 80s, it'll be cooler by the water's edge of Lake Erie, and then the heat starts to build heading into Friday. With your exclusive WBN summer Weather Forecast, I'm meteorologist Josh Nichols. Joining us on the line, political strategist Carl Calabrese with a look at what happened yesterday, primary day, Carl. um, You know, normally these kind of go through uh, without many people, uh, you know, raising uh, too much of a stink about it because, well, voter turnout isn't all that high. Uh, and especially in an off-year, a non-presidential election, interest is not that high either. Was this year any different?
1: Well, I, I guess it depends what kind of observer you are. If, if you're really into politics, if you're a party person, a, an officer, even a member of uh, either committee, uh, no, they're all interesting, they're, and, and they have impacts. This, will, this primary yesterday determined uh, who is going to be facing off, Uh, to be governor of, what, the third largest state in the country uh, come November. And so uh, they're all interesting in their own right, and they all produce uh, effects that can be long-lasting and impactful. So um, you know me. I'm a political junkie. I follow them pretty closely. Uh, To me, they're all interesting.
2: I noticed that Hochul won 66% of the vote in her race. Zeldin won 44% of the vote in that GOP primary Uh, Republicans, Carl, have not won the governor's race in a very long time. Does Zeldin have a shot? Uh,
1: Yes, I think he has a shot, but it's a long shot given this state. Uh, If you look at the state, the the disadvantages are many, starting with the fact that Republicans are over 3 million voters down in enrollment. They're facing a 2-to-1 enrollment gap. Plus, the state has gone very, very far left. Uh, and so those are those are are big problems for any Republican. Uh, he, he has one advantage in that because he won the Republican primary, he will be on two lines. He also has the conservative party line. I didn't see any way, I don't see any way how a Republican can win the state without that conservative line. And if one of the other three candidates had won the Republican primary, Zeldin still would have been on the conservative line, and you would have had a different Republican on the Republican line, and the Republican vote would have been split. And that would have been, I, I mean, I can't think of any worse situation than that. Uh, what he's got to do now, very quickly, he's got to unify the party. Um, Republicans aren't really used to fighting primaries like Democrats are, and therefore they're not as used to how you heal the wounds afterwards. I, I don't think that's a, a major problem. Uh, I, the fact that Rudy or um, uh, Andrew Giuliani called him immediately last night to congratulate him is a good sign. I think he's got to get to those parts of the state, those counties that may have supported one of his opponents and, and, you know, heal the wounds as quickly as possible. Secondly, he's got to raise lots of money. Kathy Hochul has raised gobs of it uh, since she's become governor. And uh, to be competitive in the TV markets, he's going to have to, to really crank up his, his fundraising. And third, he's got to find issues that really hit people's hot buttons. If, if you take a look at the, the latest uh, Siena poll and actually going back to the polls from the day she became governor. Um, she's vulnerable in a number of areas. Uh, the fundamental numbers are all underwater. Her favorability rating is under 50 percent. Her job performance is under 50 percent. Uh, even when asked, "Would you, will you vote for Kathy Hochul or would you prefer someone else?" Uh, she's under 50 percent on that. Uh, and so that, that, those are those are vulnerabilities. And then there's a couple of big issues that just jump out at me. 92 percent—that's an incredibly high number of New Yorkers. Feel that crime is a serious problem, 65% say it's a serious problem in their community, and 60% of New Yorkers say they are likely themselves to be a victim of crime in the next year. That's a huge issue uh, that Zeldin can exploit. Um, and the other issue is fiscal responsibility. Uh, 71% of New Yorkers feel the state's fiscal situation is a mess. So those are two issues that Zeldin can, can really develop. And maybe he hits a hot button with him and, and pulls off an upset. But if he does those things, it will indeed be an upset, given the demographics and voter profile of New York state.
0: You know, Carl, one of these issues, and we heard uh, yesterday in his uh, speech, victory speech uh, for Lee Zeldin, was the COVID mandates. You know, he said we, it's about time we end all of the restrictions here in New York. And in that sense, is the timing of the election kind of working against him uh we all know how quickly we move on from story to story here i i mean that would be an issue that if this election were a year ago might have been a really strong one to run on school closures you know uh, the mandates things like that but now as we're looking still months and months ahead and that gets a little bit more in the rearview mirror is he going to be able to lean on that as much
1: No, no, that that would not be an issue now. And quite frankly, it wouldn't have been an issue a year, year and a half ago. And I'll tell you why. Again, during the COVID uh, outbreak, the Siena poll questioned New Yorkers about all of the restrictions in New York, be it masks, school closures, social distancing, lockdowns. New Yorkers were very, very comfortable by large majorities with government restrictions. That's probably because if you look at the breakdown between parties, Democrats across the country, not just New York, were very comfortable with an intrusive, almost overpowering government response and really curtailment of individual liberties in favor of safety uh, and public health. And so, again, that, that would not have been an issue in this state maybe other states, but not in New York. New Yorkers, New York voters were very comfortable with the kinds of restrictions that we had to live with for that year, year and a half.
2: Carol, how did George Pataki, a Republican, get elected New York governor?
1: Well, it starts off with the fact that back then there was only about a a difference of about a million uh, voters in in, in the enrollment gap, only about a million more Democrats than Republicans. I think you can, you can make a very strong case that Mario Cuomo basically just reached his shelf life. Um, executives tend to have a shelf life of three terms. And when you go for a fourth, uh, that's when you have problems, when people say, you know, it's time for a change. And once people reach that judgment that it's time for a change, you know, your record, your accomplishments, it just falls on deaf ears, and I think that's what happened. I think it was a combination of, of Mario Cuomo reaching that shelf life, people ready for a change, a much more competitive political environment in the state, and a real good candidate. George Pataki was, in many ways, the, you know, the, the poster child for the kind of Republican candidate that you need to field in New York if you have any chance of winning because it, it has been a left-leaning state for quite a while. Now it's, I think, really gone far left, and, and that's where the voters of New York are comfortable.
0: On the clerk's race, uh, before we let you go, Carl, uh, 64% of the vote for Hartman in the Democrat primary. Is that, you know, uh, normally you'd kind of look at that in a primary and be like, oh, wow, all right, uh, it's a significant chunk of the vote. But given the circumstances of this, it'll be Kearns again. uh, You know, he has the nod on the Republican conservative line. Is that a good figure for her, knowing that, you know, that's what she's up against in November?
1: That's an interesting race. I, I said on a, a TV show the other day, you know, never underestimate the power of the Erie County Democrat committee to get out their vote in a primary. And I think that's exactly what would happen in, in many ways. Mickey Kearns is is out of step with the current Democrat Party in western New York, Erie County. Um, I mean, no better example of that than a year ago when they endorsed a socialist for mayor of the city of Buffalo. Uh, that tells you how far left the party has gone. Mickey Kearns is kind of that old school Democrat, uh, moderate Democrat, slightly, slightly left of center at, at most. Uh, taking some positions on on issues, social issues, cultural issues, gun issues that are not real popular in the Democrat Party. So that's what he's got to face in November. Um, if, if he's going to win a countywide race, uh, he's going to need a really high percentage of Republicans. And more importantly, he's going to need a very high percentage of the independent vote in Erie County to overcome what I believe, what I see is just kind of being out of step with the direction uh, his party is going in right now.
2: So handicap the race in November then. Do, who has the advantage? Does Hartman? Uh,
1: at this point, I would say yes. Uh, but again, it's a very early. Uh, we don't know what information will come out about her as a candidate. We don't know uh, what issues will develop. We don't know the strength of a Kearns organization. Uh, but again, you're you're down a, a significant number of voters in, in, in Erie County. And uh, it's it's always going to be a tough hill to climb. Can be done. Uh, Sheriff Garcia proved it a year ago. Put together a flawless campaign in terms of strategy and and voter identification and get out the vote. Um, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if Mickey Kearns is uh, talking to Sheriff Garcia about. Uh, can I take a look at? Uh, can I borrow your playbook? Let's put it that way. Can I borrow that playbook because it, it worked really really well? So yeah, there's. It, I think it's going to be a tough race. Um, and. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to make a prediction yet because it's way too early. But um, he's he's got a he's got a tough road ahead of him.
3: That's nine thirty in seven one six. We're back tomorrow with another edition from the studios of W B E N Buffalo.